0: When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com I've
2: got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got some dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve Exacerbating my incredible woes I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave An ultrasonic, graphic and a pulsating shave I want a magic pill for my ailments The health equivalent of Citizen Kane And if I don't get it now in the tablet I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane I want a requiem for my disease
3: So I'm paging Dr. Steve Dr. Steve yes.
2: It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve. This is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the Internet. If you've got a question, you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call. 347-766-4323. That's 347 who head If you're listening to us live, the number is 754-227-3647. That's 754-22-PENIS. Follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine. Visit our website at weirdmedicine.com or drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Or go to our merchandise store at cafepress.com slash weirdmedicine where you can get a crystal stool scale mug and perfect gift for the... uh, Uh, White elephant uh, parties you may be going to over the holidays. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on the show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse, practitioner, physician, assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, or whatever. All right, very good. Hey, don't forget, um, check out stuff.drsteve.com. That's stuff.drsteve.com. Particularly this time of year when you're doing your holiday shopping. Uh, it doesn't cost you a penny to go to stuff.drsteve.com, but it does help keep us on the air. On there, you will also find uh, almost every product we've ever discussed on the show. If there's stuff that's missing, let me know, and we'll add it. Uh, and you can also click through to uh, the most popular online shopping site in the world, a.k.a. Amazon. And um, uh, it, it does help uh, keep uh, Weird Medicine and um, – Uh, Riot Cast on the air. So thank you. Don't forget tweakedaudio.com. Perfect stocking stuffers are tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're the best on the market for the price and the best uh, customer service anywhere. And uh, on top of that, the best dang discount you can ever get anywhere. I don't know any place else that's giving a 33% discount for anything. Sometimes you get a 5%, 10%. You might get free shipping on something. But you get a 33% discount when you use the offer code FLUID, F L U I D, for tweakedaudio.com. It's like buying three things and only having to pay for two of them. And uh, my kids get, you know, these things last forever, but my kids lose them or people steal them from them at school because they're so cool. So uh, uh, they, my kids always get them in their stocking every year. Don't forget Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. I'm using right now as we speak is Simply Herbal Sinus Rinse, which is fantastic. It's buffered saline and it's got some peppermint in it as an anti-inflammatory. And uh, it really uh, um, helps me quite a bit. So it's not all malarkey over there. Uh, Check out uh, – okay. So let's talk about the premium service. I owe you an apology last week, I was exceed well two weeks ago I was exceedingly depressed uh over a bunch of different things, and I'm like, "Well hell with it, I'm not going to do radio anymore and uh so I told you guys to cancel your premium subscription, which is fine if you did if you uh i am have since decided I'm going to keep going with this. I was depressed about GVAC. I was depressed because of my job, which I've since kind of turned things around there. I think it's going to be okay. I was depressed because, um, I had a nice job offer from a fortune 500 company and, but they were not at all amused by my extracurricular activities. And so I was like, well, maybe this is the time I should just shut it all down. Um, and, um, I've decided not to take that job. So um, I'm going to stay where I am and keep doing what we're doing until I croak, which could be sooner rather than later because I am old. I'm getting pretty old. Uh, But anyway, so I'm going to try to stay with you as long as I can uh, in this incarnation anyway. uh, December 8th. We're going to have a special show. I don't know when it will air. It will probably it will air sometime before Christmas and Hanukkah and the New Year's uh, and Kwanzaa. It will be somewhere in in uh, early to mid December. But we're going to have Dave Ray Cecil. He was a national songwriting champion. Played at Lincoln Center. This guy should be huge. And you know this is how crappy the music business is. And uh, when I asked Dave to come up and do this, you know, we were going to have a gig for him. I said, how much would it cost? And he said, well, you know, I can't do the cheap ones anymore. I just can't afford to <clears throat> to do it. I've got to, you know, do you think it would be okay if I charged $150? And I was like, come on. That's how crappy this business is. You know, uh, music is almost – it's probably just as bad as um, comedy those who've listened for a long time know that I got into comedy promoting because I heard Jim Florentine talking on Opie and Anthony about how crappy they treated them on the road, and we're talking Jim Florentine, one of the all-time greats, and he he was talking about how they put them up in flea bag hotels, make them eat off the the comics menu, which was like a plain hamburger, and um, it it broke my heart, it it made me sad, and I said if I do comedy promotion. Uh, i 'm going to treat them right, so I put them up in a in a uh, five star resort we uh, uh all of their needs are catered to we have put nice lots of nice stuff in the green room whatever they want and we have a supermodel well an aging supermodel but a supermodel nonetheless a k a lady diagnosis who 's six feet tall uh blonde thin with you know all of her assets she 's smart um, it is 2018. I'm trying to uh, uh, not run afoul of the Me Too movement by not commenting on her physical assets, but you know she's awesome. She's just a great person. They and they all love her. So um, the uh, uh, so they and and we've gotten nothing but great reports from all the comics that we've had come and work with us. So I'm going to do the music thing the same way. So Dave Ray Cecil is going to get put up in the same place. Have the he he's driving himself, so he won't have the opportunity of having the supermodel drive him around. But we're going to take good care of him. Uh, I said, no, we can't pay 150. We'll pay you 300, and uh, we're going to do a nice little intimate gig at the Beer Run in a little town called Kingsport, Tennessee. It's not too too far from where dr scott and i live and um it will be december 8th at 7 p.m also we're going to broadcast that one live on our uh, youtube channel we normally don't haven't been doing that recently but we're going to for this so uh but do come out meet dave i'll have posters you can get signed uh there will be beer if you come and because you heard about it on this show and you introduce yourself i'll buy you a beer maybe even two assuming you're of legal age and not overserved already. And always drink and drive responsibly. Come on. Don't be stupid. All right? Okay. So uh, let's see. So premium. Oh, what was I talking about? Okay. Premium.drsteve.com uh, is back open for business. It's $1.99 a month and uh, you get access to all of our premium content and um, of which there is a little bit. And also, um, you get access to all of our archives. I kind of prefer this to Patreon. Patreon just too glitchy. Too, it's too twitchy for me. I'm old school. You pay your buck 99. I'll put stuff up there, and uh, you get access to all this stuff going all the way back to the beginning. So anyway, thank you for uh, supporting that. I've got a couple of uh, articles for you, and then we'll do some phone calls, and then we'll get the hell out of here. In under 50 minutes and 13 seconds. So uh, uh, this is a a compilation of studies on medical marijuana. You, I think, are quite aware, if you've been listening to this show for any time, that I am a libertarian. And uh, before I was a libertarian, I was in favor of legalizing marijuana because I don't see the – the the extreme downsides to it that the politicians throw out, and I see a lot of upsides getting money out of the underground economy and back into uh, where it into the government's pockets where it belongs, <laughs> because we want them to. This is you know this is the one time that libertarians. Uh, like me we'll talk about we'll use taxes increasing taxes as a um, as a benefit. but you know when we're trying to convince the government to do something we 've got to show them where it's going to benefit them and I am in favor of the government regulating uh, marijuana use I, you know I think it it should be sold to people who are eligible to also buy alcohol. So across the country, it's basically 21 years of age. Someone's got to enforce that. Uh, We don't want people uh, toking up and driving um, any more than we want people drinking and driving. Uh, uh, So someone's got to enforce that. And, you know, we only want certain people to be able to sell it and all that stuff. And the taxes can go to pay for all kinds of things. Uh, Drug treatment – uh, which we are sadly lacking in this country. You know, part of the problem with the opioid epidemic is that um, as doctors have consistently written fewer and fewer prescriptions for opioids since 2010, the the number of prescriptions written in this country has declined rapidly, the uh, number of opioid deaths continues to rise. So how could that possibly be? If doctors are the problem... Uh, if they're writing less, then how is it that um, opioid uh, pers- or deaths increase? Well, the reason is, and, and, I, and I went to a meeting at the state not too long ago uh, talking about these things, and uh, all of the ER docs and the pain management people and psych and all those folks are saying, the problem right now is not pills it's powders, and it's mostly fentanyl, and with a smaller percentage of crocodile. Crocodile is a an opioid that's made by converting, if I remember correctly, codeine into a more potent form. And uh, the problem is they use phosphorus when they're doing it, and they can't get it out of the uh, – they can't clean it well enough so that when you inject this stuff, it sets up a – very uh, serious inflammatory response in your skin, it thickens and it cracks you look like crocodile skin Well, anyway. so the problem is um, uh, opioids, but it is not prescription opioids at this at this point now. A whole lot of people who were uh, who are using heroin now may have started with a legitimate prescription for maybe an orthopedic procedure or a surgical procedure. And uh, lost control of it. So we can't just write these people off. We shouldn't anyway. But what we've done is we've decreased the supply of medications that are abusable that have the milligram amounts printed on them. We have not decreased the demand because we're not putting money in the right amounts and we're not putting people in the right places – to uh, deal with uh, not only prevention but treatment of opioid addiction. So the demand is still there. So they're going to go to places that instead of having the milligram amount on it or in the case of fentanyl, the microgram amount printed on it, they are just going to be little baggies and God knows what's in there. So you have to hope that whoever is selling it to you, your dealer, knows what they're talking about. And I've met some of these guys and women yeah, not – not rocket scientists, a lot of them. Some are. Some are extremely smart, particularly the uh, basement chemists. Um, but uh, it, the your ability to tell just by looking at it how many micrograms are in there and how much you should give yourself before you overdose, impossible to do. So people are overdosing if they get a bag that's uh, been stepped on less than what they're used to. Anyway— So that's where we are right now. So I I would like to see uh, money from taxation of the legalization of marijuana go toward treatment of opioid addiction. And um, you know, people talk about, oh well, marijuana is a gateway drug. If people start using pot, they're going to use stronger stuff. You know, you know what actually is the gateway drug, and it's not marijuana; it's tobacco. People, Kids who start smoking cigarettes at an early age are much more likely to end up uh, using drugs. I can attest that that's true, knowing people that I grew up with in the 60s. Anyway, so these articles, a number of studies featured in the 2018 annual meeting of the uh, Society for Neuroscience held in San Diego – and uh, here's here's what they showed. So there were six studies unveiled at the recent meeting, shed some, and this is from Medical News Today, much-needed new light on long-term effects of cannabis use over the lifespan. Specifically, they found that exposing unborn rats, uh, a lot of these are rat studies, hard to do this in humans, some of these studies would be unethical, exposing unborn rats to delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, uh, which is THC. Uh, reduce the resilience to stress later in life. Now, how in the hell do you measure um, rat stress? Well, they do this in mazes and how agitated they get and all this kind of stuff. Uh, they, it also led to faulty development of brain circuits for memory and learning. So the takeaway from this is if this is translatable to humans, uh, if you're pregnant, don't drink, don't smoke, eat well, and don't do pot. You know, it makes sense. That we don't want to expose uh, uh baby you know kids in utero to uh drugs we have so many kids these days born with neonatal abstinence syndrome, in other words, their mother was doing uh opioids, and uh what happens when you stop doing opioids, you go through withdrawal right so while the kid is in the in utero, the opioids are passing through the placenta into the kids' uh, uh uh, bloodstream and getting them high and then when they're born they're not getting that anymore and they go through withdrawal and it can be quite traumatic. Um, okay, cannabinoid use by adolescent rats showed physical alterations in the development of brain regions involved in self-control making decisions and planning. Okay, yes. Adolescents should not be doing this stuff. They shouldn't be drinking, smoking or, uh, or doing uh, mind-altering drugs. I am not a namby pamby just say no uh, person, but I I do think you need to be an adult. I don't even know. I'm 21 is sort of artificial. I mean, if it's 20 years and 364 days, is there something different between that person and a 21 one year old? Of course not. But um, you have to set that line somewhere. Um, okay. So let's see here. Uh, in adult mice, the long-term use of cannabinoids led to changes in connectivity and metabolism in regions of the brain involved in memory and learning. Now, this is a secondary endpoint, and we've talked about these before, where um, you have a secondary endpoint that you're, that you're studying. For example – LDL cholesterol is a secondary endpoint. When you give someone a drug that lowers LDL cholesterol, uh, you're extrapolating from that that lowering LDL, which is bad cholesterol, is good because if you lower LDL cholesterol, it reduces heart attack and stroke, right? So measuring only LDL is not the primary outcome. The primary outcome is reducing heart attack and stroke, you're measuring a secondary outcome and hoping that that translates into something correct. But I could imagine a drug that would lower someone's LDL cholesterol and might increase their risk of heart attack and stroke through some other mechanism. You know, there are other mechanisms other than cholesterol that can cause stroke, including vasoconstriction. What if you had a drug that decreased LDL cholesterol, but it also constricted the vessels going to the heart. So it actually increased heart attack and stroke. So only measuring that LDL, you go, wow, this is a great drug. you got to measure the primary outcome. So in this, they're looking at changes in connectivity and metabolism in regions of the brain that are involved in memory and learning, but they're not showing that there's a change in memory and learning. They haven't demonstrated that. Uh, now, mice with Alzheimer's disease showed me- actual memory improvements and lost fewer brain cells when scientists treated them with THC. And, you know, this could ultimately lead uh, to a therapy for human disease. So um, we need lots and lots and lots of research on this stuff over time, long term. Uh, we know that long term – there are people have been smoking pot since time immemorial and they would mostly do okay. What we're looking at – is are there slight increases in risk or slight benefits? Because if it was huge, we would already know it, right? So what are the benefits? Who are the populations that will benefit from marijuana? Who are the populations that will be harmed by marijuana? And then is it true that mostly everybody in the middle will be all right? So if we can show that you uh, – fetuses are harmed by marijuana well pregnant mothers shouldn't smoke even if they're adults or shouldn't use THC in any form Uh, if adolescents are harmed we should keep it away from them you got to be 21 before you can buy it Uh, if there are people who are benefited by it we should allow this at the very least to be prescribed for those people even if you're not going to make it legal for uh, recreational use if people with Alzheimer's benefit, and we've got to do the human studies, but if we can demonstrate that people with Alzheimer's benefit in double-blind placebo-controlled studies, reproducible with large enough uh, cohorts to know that there's a real benefit, then it is criminal to not allow that to be prescribed for those people, in my opinion, okay? I right. Criminal. I'm going to make that statement. It is – if you know something is beneficial for a population and you, for political reasons, don't allow that medication to be prescribed, to me, that's a crime. There may not be a law against it, but it's a crime. All right. Um, Vitamin D. So I've always said that vitamin D is interesting because – a. People who have low vitamin D levels in their bloodstream are at risk for certain um, uh, conditions, including cancer and heart disease. So for so long, people said, well, you need to supplement with with vitamin D because we don't get enough sunlight. People that live in cities get sunlight for maybe an hour a day, even if it's a bright, sunny day. And uh, they – Uh, need supplementation to prevent these diseases. And I've always said for years on this show that we don't have any evidence that that's the case, that low vitamin D may be a marker for high risk. It may not be the cause of high risk. Does that make sense? Let me elaborate a little bit. It may be that there is some system in your body that, puts you at risk for – and it's a, you know, genetic or whatever – that puts you at high risk for cancer or heart disease. And part of the uh, cascade um, of uh, systems that have to all go together for that to be true might be that you don't uh, absorb vitamin D at the same rate as other people. Uh, and, and it could simply be a marker saying, look, this is a problem – but it's not the vit- the low vitamin D that's actually causing the increased risk it's just simply a marker that you are at increased risk so if it's a cause of the increased risk of these conditions then supplementing vitamin D should make a difference you should be able to see a decrease in heart attack or whatever your endpoint is that you're looking at heart attack, cancer, whatever. If it's not uh, a cause, then you can supplement all day long and you won't see any benefit from it, at least not in those particular endpoints. Certainly, if you don't have low vitamin D, you won't get rickets. We know that. And that's not nothing. So uh, two new randomized trials sadly challenge the view that vitamin D and fish oil supplements hold any real benefit in the fight Against chronic conditions such as cancer and heart disease, now we kind of knew the thing with fish oil that it didn 't prevent heart disease. Uh, the hypothesis there was that because people who live in countries where they eat a lot of fish have lower um, incidence of heart heart attacks. That if we – and this is the American response, well, then let's just take a bunch of fish, put them in a vat and render them down into their constituent oil and uh, and we'll just take it as a pill and then we can eat whatever the hell we want. And it didn't work. And it turns out that by eating the fish, you're not eating other things that you shouldn't be eating and um, or that increase your risk of heart attack and stroke. So anyway, so um, these are uh, uh, two trials presented at scientific sessions by the American Heart Institute in Chicago. And this was also published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, You know, vitamin D and fish oil supplements, certainly the subject of a lot of hype in the medical research community, mass media, and among the general public, as I've already said. And uh, there was a recent study in mice that found that vitamin D benefits heart cells, suggested the vitamin may prevent cardiovascular blockages. Okay. So, they were looking, again, at a secondary endpoint, that there was some benefit to the heart cells. Didn't show a, you know, a primary endpoint of reducing heart attack and stroke. Um, other studies identified persistent links between a lack of vitamin D and the development of breast cancer and bowel cancer. Um, so what they did was they did two new studies. They did randomized placebo-controlled trials. Those are the best evidence. You give half the people... The active ingredient, and in half the people, um, a placebo, and then you uh, uncode it at the or decode it at the end, and see if there's any statistically significant difference. And the doctors or the you know the 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 investigators nor the patients know which drug they took until they decode it. This looked at twenty six thousand healthy adult participants, twenty percent were African American, none had a history of heart disease or cancer. And they were uh, – the men were at least 50. The women were at least 55. So this is a group of people that down the road would be at risk for having some problems. And uh, some of the participants took a daily dosage of 2,000 international units of vitamin D and a gram of fish oil. And uh, other participants received the same dosage of vitamin D plus a placebo. Some took – this is a great, very well-designed study. So there's four arms – the others took the same daily dose of fish oil with a placebo. So some people took both fish oil and vitamin D. Some took vitamin D only. Some took fish oil only. And some took two placebos. And they followed them for five years. Now, maybe this wasn't long enough. So that's that could be um, a hypothesis that, that it takes longer than five years to see an effect. By the end of the study period, they found no overall benefits and they concluded That supplementation with omega-3 fatty acids did not result in lower incidence of major cardiovascular events or cancer less than placebo. And then supplementation with vitamin D did not result in lower incidence of invasive cancer or cardiovascular events than placebo. Now, there was a uh, slight risk – a slight decrease in risk of just heart attacks – uh, particularly among people that did not eat fish regularly if they took fish oil, uh, so the, maybe it 's worth taking for that. Um, none of those supplements uh, resulted in severe side effects. other than that, um, you know other large randomized trials of omega three fatty acids didn 't support the findings that they came up with uh, i don 't have a problem if you take vitamin D. Because it's probably not going to hurt you. I don't have a problem if you take fish oil because it's probably not going to hurt you. Just don't expect it to have a huge benefit. That's the thing. All right. All right. Let's 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 take some questions. Uh-oh. Advice from some asshole on the radio. Oh, why can I? You know, 14 years later, I still can't get that right. Here we go. Number one thing. Don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. Thank you, Ronnie B. That's exactly uh
3: Hey, I'm Nolan Sykes, a host of Past Gas, the number one automotive podcast in the world. Every week, my co-hosts, James Pumphrey, Joe Weber, and I bring you some of our favorite stories from the hallowed halls of car history. From the amazing to the weird to the utterly unforgettable moments, we cover it all. Join us as we take a look at the wild stories and larger-than-life characters behind legendary cars and car makers. So if you love cars or just like a good story, check out Past Gas by Donut Media, the number one automotive
2: podcast in the world. Very true and uh, couldn't be wiser. Hey, Dr. Steve. Hey, man.
3: Just calling about, uh, you know, I guess it'd be squirting, not ejaculation, but uh, we've been married for 15 years, and all of a sudden, the life starts squirting during intercourse. Uh, recently, she had a, I guess it's called a hood piercing. Do you think that that might have anything to do with it? No. Well, I'll let you answer the question. Thanks, bud.
2: Hey, thanks, man. No, so she had her her um, clitoral hood pierced, um, which just would seem to me like having a foreign body in there all the time. I had you know, if if you find that to be um, to enhance your sexual pleasure, please call in. Call three four seven seven six six four three two three, and um, let me know what your thinking is on that. I. I've known people that had omblong piercings, double vasectomy, feces. Used to, I think he had multiple piercings along the top part of his penis, and uh, he just liked to play with them all the time. Which is like, you know, I don't want to see you messing with your junk. Um, so let me let me know if so what that does for you, and uh, you know I see women with nipple piercings i'm kind of interested in checking that out live but um i just like a plain old nipple you know a nice meaty uh, delightful nipple but um uh, i would be interested in how that enhances your pleasure does that enhance the pleasure for the woman only uh is it just cool and just thinking about it uh, gives you some pleasure uh, for the people who are licking those nipples, do they f- derive pleasure from that? Or does it just click against your teeth and irritate you? So I'm I'm interested in that. All right. So um, what about this uh, squirting business? So all of a sudden, this woman who is sound, I guess, m- either early middle, late youth or early middle age uh, is all of a sudden squirting. I don't think the piercing of the, hood had anything to do with it i'm going to assume that was coincidental but uh they're squirting and then they're squirting and so we need to talk about this just for a second there was a, a st- and by the way you can read along at dr com, and just in the upper right hand corner there's a search box it's just put in a female ejaculation i wrote a big long article about this that is by the way if i may say so definitive so uh there you know there was a um Um, an article in the literature that hit the media that said uh, scientists say female squirting is just peeing. Okay. It pissed me off because I know the truth. And uh, you know, the bloggers, the medical media, which by the way, the medical media, most of the time, they're just regular media who happen to be reporting on medical stuff. They, I, it's unbelievable how many things they get wrong. And when they get that much wrong on stuff that I know about, which is almost every single study, if, if they're reporting on something and I know something about it, there's facts that are wrong. It does make me suspicious about the other stuff that they're telling me. But uh, anyway, the original study um, uh, suffered significantly from a severe case of selection bias. And uh, on my website, I have a link to the study. Um, here's the thing. And if I ever go on Joe Rogan, we're going to talk about this because he's invited me. We just never made it out there. When you're looking at wave-particle duality, and I'm going to go off on one of my physics tangents. So, um, you know, there's this experiment where you send photons through a double slit. And uh, they set up this interference pattern. And, you know, if you shine a light through it, they, they'll make an interference pattern. The only way this can happen is if light act like – are waves, right? That's the only time that things can interfere with itself is if it's a wave. Like you uh, drop two pebbles in water and you see that pattern of uh, interference where if you have get a low trough and a high trough meet, it evens out, right? And so you get a, a, a flat area in the water at that point. And it's called interference. And uh, you'll see these bands of light. Rather, you, know, you have two slits. You see these bands of light spread out. And it's the waves as they emerge from the slits interfering with each other. And so where there's a peak and a trough that meet, there will be no light. Where there are two peaks, it will be brighter. So half of it will be brighter. Half of it will be significantly dimmer. And uh, so it must be a wave, right? Light has to be a wave. However – if you send one photon at a time, you can see, watch it hit this um, uh, screen and you can even put a a substance on there that will uh, uh, create a voltage only in the um, presence of a particle that knocks off an electron uh, and that's called the photoelectric effect. And uh, so if you look at this Um, experiment and look for particles, you will find them. So you can send one photon at a time. The weird thing about that experiment is that if you send one photon at a time and they act like particles, they will still only uh, go uh, into these areas where the bands are. So these are really bands of probability. And uh, so when you're looking for wave uh, nature, you will find it. And when you're looking for particle nature, you will find it. Because those two things are incompatible, you can never design an experiment that will show both things at once. And uh, so uh, people say, well, are you know are photons particles or waves? Well, they're both. If you uh, do an experiment looking for the wave nature, you will find wave nature. If you do an experiment looking for particle nature, you will find particle nature. And um, – Uh, If you're interested in what I just told you about, if you've never heard of this before, it's hard to explain it without visuals. Uh, Just do a YouTube on the uh, two-slit experiment and there will be a bunch of them. Fascinating. (laughs) It's mind-blowing. How do these particles, single photons, know where to go? Because they can't be interfering with themselves, right? It's crazy. Insane. Anyway – Uh, The universe – the programmers are just effing with us. You know, we're in this simulation. The programmers are effing with us, although I can't imagine what their universe is like if um, photons don't have wave-particle duality. You know, they must live in a very different universe than we do if this one is artificial. But anyway, uh, so if you're looking – if you do an experiment like Harry Fish did on the Howard Stern show, looking for urine – what he did was he got a uh, porn star who was known to squirt, to squirt, uh, to masturbate and squirt, and he tested the fluid for creatinine. Creatinine is only found in urine, at least when it's expelled from the human body, and uh, it was positive. So he said, there you go. It's piss. Well, I did the con- the contrary experiment um, in on the Anthony Cumia show where we took that same fluid and tested it for prostatic-specific antigen. Prostatic-specific antigen can only be found in prostatic fluid, and that would exclude it from being urine. And what did we find? We found prostatic-specific antigen. So it's almost like wave-particle duality. If we're testing for urine properties, r- urine nature, we will find it. If we're testing for ejaculate nature, we will also find it. So what's the answer? These things are not quantum systems, so they can be both at the same time. That's the difference. And so what we've found is that some women have what's called coital incontinence. And coital incontinence is the expressing of a extremely dilute fluid from the urinary bladder out into the real world. So you say, "Well, that's piss." Well, that's interesting because it's not—it's ju- not exactly piss. I mean, if you define piss as being. Uh, A water-based fluid that is expelled from the urinary bladder to the outside world through the urethra, then yes, it's piss. But there's more to it. What these guys did in this study was they um, had an ultrasound uh, transducer and they were watching the bladder. They had women empty their bladders. And, you know, if you empty your bladder, you don't have to go again for like four hours, right? Well, they emptied their bladders, and then they put this ultrasound transducer over the bladder, and then they stimulated these women using a vibrator. And what they found was the bladder filled up almost immediately as they became sexually excited with this extremely dilute fluid, uh, uh, which had a different um, – specific gravity than the urine that they had produced. And so this is produced under uh, sexual stimulation. There's some, you know, it's hormonal uh, uh, stimulation of the um, kidney to produce this Extremely dilute water. It's it's it basically the consi- the consistency of water doesn't have urea in it doesn't have a lot of the other stuff that um, urine has in it. Which is why when men say that they quaff this stuff as it's coming out, that it's obviously not piss because they'll say that it's it's not piss. I know what piss is. This isn't piss. Um, by definition, it just depends on how you define it. If you define piss as being urine that is part of the kidney's job of um, uh, clearing the body of certain impurities, then it's not piss because this is produced only under conditions of sexual stimulation and is extremely dilute. Now, so about anywhere between 7 and 50%, it just depends on who, what study you're doing and who your population is. Um, will have uh, uh, coital incontinence. Now, there is also this thing called female ejaculation. And anywhere between 10 and 54% of women will have female ejaculation. And this is the ex- expulsion of a white, thick, milky fluid from the skein's glands, which if you take a skein's gland out and um, – Uh, look at it under the microscope, it looks just like prostatic tissue. So remember, men and women are so very similar. You know, one chromosome makes all the difference. And uh, if we have a prostate, they have prostatic, you know, an analog uh, of the prostate somewhere as well. It turns out it's in the skein's glands. And when they ejaculate, they ejaculate prostatic fluid. And that's how we were able to detect prostatic-specific antigen in this uh, woman's uh, fluid. Now, uh, if around – let's just say at the max, around 50% of women have coital incontinence and 50% have uh, female ejaculation, well, what's the odds that um, some women will have both, about 25% of the time, all right? So so there's a significant overlap – And um, if there is a significant overlap, this makes it very, very confusing. So some women will do nothing. Probably more than half of women do nothing. But of the women that do something, uh, uh, some of them will have female ejaculation. Some will have coital incontinence and some will have both. And that's why it's been so hard to achieve a consensus whether this is just piss or not. And, you know, Anthony – uh, made the point, which was a good point that what if, if there's only one percent of this fluid that this person and it was voluminous was extruding uh was um, uh, female ejaculate, then the rest of it is still coming from the urinary bladder, so it's kind of like the um uh, the statistic about sewage, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but sewage raw sewage is Ninety-eight percent pure water. <laughs> the other two percent is what ruins everything because you wouldn't want to drink it. If I said, "Well, this is ninety-eight percent pure water," you might go, "Well, I'll drink that." No, don't drink that. You need ninety-nine point nine 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 percent pure water. Um, uh, the the two percent that is stool, urine, and other things that are flushed down the toilet uh, make it um, not safe to drink. So. So there you go. That's my treatise on female ejaculation. It is real. Uh, even the voluminous, watery fluid that comes out isn't normal urine. Uh, and it all whether it's piss or not is, depends on how you define it. I choose to n- not define that as piss. I choose to uh, define that as dilute uh, fluid that is only produced during sexual stimulation – Uh, that we call coital incontinence. All right.
3: Hey, Dr. Steve. I have a question regarding um, allergies to to alcohol or beer. Um, I'm not sure what it is, actually. I I used to be able to drink any beer, uh, any amounts, and be fine. Now that I'm getting older, I'm 38, and uh, certain beers, when I drink, Um, I get uh, like a swelling in the throat and uh, like an irritated indigestion type of sensation. Um, I thought it was only dark beer, so then I would just stick to light beers, and now certain light beers do it too. And just recently over the weekend I had a glass of red wine. It was a a, uh, Pinot Noir, and it did the same thing. So I don't know if it's a sensitivity to the alcohol, to yeast, I don't. I don't even know if wine is made with yeast. I doubt it. So, uh,
2: but uh, do you have any? <laughs> no, else? it is. It's totally made with yeast. Um, there shouldn't be much of any left over. But it's not the yeast that's causing the problem. Uh, I don't think this is an allergy. Uh, there are people who are allergic to alcohol or certain components in alcohol. Those people will get mostly violently ill if they're truly allergic to it. So it's not that. There are people that lack the enzyme to metabolize um, alcohol fully and they'll get stuck in a stage called acid aldehyde. So alcohol needs to go from alcohol to um, acid aldehyde and then to uh, products that aren't toxic. Acid aldehyde is toxic and causes people to have flushing and terrible headaches and feel bad. And uh, matter of fact, there's that stuff called Antabuse. What it does is it blocks the alcohol that metabolizes acetaldehyde. So you get stuck with that. So if you drink, it makes you sick. And they'll use that for alcoholics to remind them not to drink because they'll be so sick that they won't want to. There's a antibiotic that does the same thing called metronidazole. If you take it, you can't drink with that because, again – If you drink alcohol, it will be metabolized to this acetaldehyde and then no further, and it'll make you sick. So uh, there are those people, but it doesn't sound like it either. But this throat closing up, initially you hear that. You think, oh, gosh, yeah, that's an allergy. But he doesn't have any of the other stuff that goes with it. He's not getting shortness of breath. He's not getting hives, not coughing, any of that. So I don't think it's actually closing up. I think what's happening is alcohol is causing reflux, you know, gastroesophageal reflux. Uh, as you we get older, the um, valve that goes between our esophagus and our stomach, which is already pretty poorly conceived, if I may say so, uh, with no offense to our creator, uh, pretty pretty poorly conceived, not just not a good valve. And uh, lots and lots of problems with that valve uh, look the whole thing 's a miracle don 't get me wrong, but um, as far as keeping food in the stomach it 's not a not very well designed so if you But if you drink alcohol and that thing is starting to weaken, it weakens it even further, and it 'll just relax and what happens is you 'll start getting stomach contents which are full of hydrochloric acid. Uh, working its way up into your esophagus. And I think that's where you're feeling the indigestion and you're feeling that feeling of something being in your throat. So in the short term, uh, you can take some uh, over-the-counter antacid stuff. If you want to take Mylanta or Gaviscon uh, before you drink, and the Gaviscon is great because it floats on the surface, uh, you could take a proton pump inhibitor in the short term I do not want you uh, treating this stuff uh, long-term that way. You've got to go to your primary care, tell them this story. Uh, Even you can suggest that someone suggested you may have reflux. They will send you to a gastroenterologist and uh, get you scoped and make sure everything's okay in there. If they see that you have a lax, uh, a lower esophageal sphincter, or if you have a hiatal hernia, Um. Do we need to talk about what a hiatal hernia is? I guess we do. Uh, The esophagus has to pass from the mouth, you know, the back of the mouth down into the stomach, right? Well, there's a diaphragm in the way. And uh, the diaphragm is what contracts to allow you to breathe. So if it has to – if the stomach is below the diaphragm, the esophagus is above it, there must be a hole in that diaphragm through which the esophagus Uh, passes right and there is and it's called the hiatus and when you have a hiatal hernia the, the part of the stomach that's supposed to be below the diaphragm passes above the diaphragm through the hiatus and it becomes a hiatal hernia and when you do that that lower esophageal sphincter again doesn't function properly and stuff will get from your stomach into uh, the esophagus so I'm going to bet that's what is so short term you can treat yourself with over the counter medications there's a ton of them I'm not giving you advice to do that that stuff's out there um, you know what to do. Just follow the instructions. But do not do this on your own. Go get checked and make sure they're not missing something. Because you don't I, – I was always a little bummed when they made Prilosec and Prevacid and Protonix uh, over-the-counter because I was afraid that people would take them uh, for long periods of time on their own without getting checked. And indeed, that's true. And we're missing some stuff when we do that. So just get checked and, uh, and then let me know. Okay? All right.
3: Uh, how is it possible? You said uh, there's these big bodybuilders that have a lot of muscle, and when you do a blood test, their testosterone is zero. So obviously they have a lot of testosterone. Now, know,
2: make that past tense. They had a lot of pres- their body testosterone.
3: To have a huge amount of muscle. Does the blood test only pick up what is being produced naturally, so their body is producing zero? Basically their body's producing... Zero testosterone, and all the testosterone that they have is is um, synthetic or give not, yourself not a bill. Or, or not bioidentical. Okay, so
2: oh, I guess I, he was asking, could it be? Is it not bioidentical? the The group of people I was talking about so it was several weeks ago were people who had. Uh, uh, through their bodybuilding, had supplemented their uh, testosterone to the extent that their testicles no longer produced testosterone. So when they stopped uh, juicing, and you tested their blood, uh, their blood testosterone, it was zero, which meant that their body was no longer producing testosterone of any kind. And uh, so, no. If they had been in the middle of a cycle, we sort of certainly would have detected testosterone in their bloodstream. Uh, now, there may be some that you can uh, supplement with that won't show up on a on a uh, urine drug screen. Well, urine drug screen, but or on a plasma test. I don't know. It's it's been a while since I've uh, paid any attention to that. But. Um, uh, that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about people who had supplemented themselves to the point where they shut down their testicles from producing uh testosterone and when they stopped using uh testosterone injections in the gym the the testicles didn't didn't rebound back. they just sat there and didn't produce testosterone uh, and Those people have to have uh, testosterone supplementation the rest of their life that's That's all that was about
3: all right. Hey Dr. Steve, I um uh, been addicted to nicotine since high school playing baseball in uh yeah, you
2: and Dr. Scott
3: Southwest Missouri. Uh it's pretty common for us to uh dip snuff or Copenhagen. And about three years ago i kicked the habit well, didn't kick the habit, I've been no. chewing um uh, nicotine gum ever since and
2: You involved? just
3: wondering if that is um a decent alternative, or what the uh, the overall side effects of chewing nicotine gum are.
2: So uh, nicotine gum is designed to be a bridge between either smoking or dipping and complete nicotine sobriety. And uh, it's it never intended to uh, be used on and on and on, despite what our you know, what our friend Rich Voss (laughs) has done. Now, look, it's certainly better than dipping or because it doesn't have the carcinogenic effects, at least as far as we know. Um, You know, when you smoke, the tar, our hypothesis is the tar causes the, the, um, um, uh, the cancer, but the nicotine keeps you coming back for more. And there is some evidence that nicotine is a promoter of an enzyme called protein kinase C that is a tumor growth promoter. It's a tumor growth promoter. So if you get cancer and you continue to smoke, it may be that the tar caused caused the cancer to grow, but the nicotine is causing it to grow faster. So there's always an inducement to quit smoking, even if you have metastatic cancer. Uh, If you want to live longer. So uh, nicotine is a vasoconstrictor. uh, Most likely increases your risk of hypertension, heart attack, stroke. And uh, so, yes, there is a reason for you to stop doing that. Now, if you're having trouble doing it, it's pretty easy. What you do is um, you can cut uh, the the, uh, piece of gum into pieces and start to taper yourself off. And when you do that, you're going to have a smaller piece of gum so you can supplement that with other gum that's similar. So if you like the burn that you get using a, like a peppermint sort of chiclet thing and uh, cutting that in half and cutting the nicotine gum in half, And then chewing that together and then slipping it twixt cheek and gum, which is the way that you're supposed to use nicotine gum. You're not supposed to necessarily chew it so much as insert it between your cheek and your gum so that uh, you'll get the full effect of uh, absorbing the nicotine over time. Uh, And you can taper yourself off of it. I would love to see you completely taper yourself off of that and be done with it once and for all. You can still chew gum. Just don't do nicotine gum if you can get away with it. All right. All right, we're out of time. Thanks always go to uh, Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Taft, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, <clears throat> whose support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our Sirius XM show on the Faction Talk channel. Sirius XM channel, 103, Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks go to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. And don't forget to use stuff.drsteve.com for all your shopping needs. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.
1: The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right.